listening to the Testudo Times Podcast, the official podcast of SB Nation's Maryland Terrapins Colossus. And welcome to episode 127 of the Testudo Times Podcast, where I'm going to start this show by writing more than a few wrongs. Thomas, let's start by talking about field hockey. Yeah, okay. So, Maryland Field Hockey this weekend knocked off two more top 17 teams. They beat number 12, Delaware, number 17, Harvard. They're 7-0. and They are starting Big Ten play this weekend. Probably going to go 8-0. and So, that is definitely a team to keep an eye on. Really, no matter what happens, but especially if uh, the bigger name sports start to go south. Yep, so I decided to right a few wrongs and meant that we are going to start by talking about field hockey. We don't really know all that much. I certainly don't, and I'm sorry about that field hockey program because you're really good and I should know more about it, but I felt like writing wrongs because the last two shows I've forgotten field hockey exists. I feel really, really bad about that. So uh, I'm going to start with Jared as we talk about football and as we start to turn our attention towards games in the future. Jared, did we learn anything from that game? Because I'm sitting back thinking about it about three days later, four days later now, and I don't think we learned anything from that game. I think we learned that Maryland is capable of making big second-half adjustments. Um, I think we kind of saw a little bit of that in the Texas game, um, but it it was a huge part of uh, this last game against Bowling Green. Uh, to go into the half down 14 to 10 um, and then to come up and, you know, blank Bowling Green in the second half and put up 35 unanswered points. Um, I guess it was 35 total unanswered points going back to the first half. Yeah. Um, it was uh, that I, I think that just kind of shows, you know, some of that had to do with not continuously ruining your own drives with silly penalties um, or prolonging Bowling Green's drives with silly penalties. Um, Botched handoff. But, right, exactly. So it, it was interesting to see how they kind of came out and just kind of pounded the ball. It almost reminded me of, of a high school football game where it's just run, 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 um, and, and it worked. I mean, they, they talked about it. After the game, they talked about it uh, yesterday at the press conference. You know, it's working. Don't if it's working, don't stop. Um, and they did, and it was it was kind of fun to watch. You know, from like a a football kind of X's and O's standpoint, um, how they just lined up and you know used their size and speed advantage to just pound the rock. I, I do take back one thing I said. I did learn something watching this game on, on Saturday, is that Mike O'Malley, he of Nickelodeon Guts and Get the Picture fame, is in an ESPN Plus ad. I didn't know that, and now I do, and I don't know what to do with that information. Uh, more on football matters, Thomas. Did we really learn anything that successful other than Maryland, if they stop committing penalties, can beat a bad team? I don't know about too much. I think maybe Isaiah Davis was sort of an under-the-radar um, real bright spot. I mean, he had 10 total tackles on defense. No one else had more than four. Uh, the pass rush, you know, against a, a 
bit of a less mobile quarterback and was really able to get to him. Jesse Annabonum got his first sack since uh, his injury last year. Byron Cowart got his first career sack, I believe, in the same game. Isaiah Davis had two sacks. So, um, you know, a lot of different guys on defense, you know, made the statements that maybe they weren't able to make in week one, even if they played well. And so, you know, now guys have a lot of guys just have numbers to back up the quality of play they've had. And that should give them extra confidence going forward. I would hope so, considering you beat up on Bowling Green. And, yeah, Maryland made it hard for a while for reasons I don't really understand. Seriously. There was awful first half, a billion penalties, and it was kind of sickening to watch because you knew they were better than them. You knew Maryland was going to eventually beat them up, but you were just wondering why it was taking so long. And, Thomas, the penalties. Oof. I mean, you could talk about undisciplined Maryland teams. I've seen some in the past, but that was probably one of the most undisciplined halves I've seen. And the good thing is they fixed it. But you can't play like that if you're going to be competitive against teams in the Big Ten. Even against mediocre teams, they're going to punish you more than Bowling Green could. And Bowling Green's not terrible, but they're not great. I think they were predicted either to be second to last or last in the MAC East. And they were winning at halftime, and Maryland should not have been trailing in that game under any circumstances the way that they were playing. Yeah, I mean, Maryland did outplay them, and I think it's it's a little bit more of just, yeah, I mean, silly penalties in sort of the wrong moments. I mean, there's obviously never a great time to commit a penalty, but the, the way Maryland did it, I mean, they scored a touchdown that had to be called back, and then they, they ended up punting on the drive. Well, yeah, and they, they ended up punting. And you combine that with a pass interference in the end zone gives Bowling Green – Another first down. I don't. I don't know if that was on third down, but it definitely really extended the drive, gave Bowling Green even better position. They scored on that, um, and then a complete defensive lapse, you know, results in another touchdown. Mm-hmm. You know, that's all it can take for you know a, a team that's really outplaying the other team and pretty much all facets of the game to be losing at half with a couple of silly mistakes, a couple of silly penalties. That you know, that's that's a lesson to learn. And that's something that a pretty young team, it, it's probably good for them to experience without getting killed for it. I mean, what was the rushing yard? It's 179 to 13 or something in that way. Something. It was, it was rough. It was like, and then it ended up being 443 to like 15. I think it was, or something like that. If my number, yeah, and that's with, ballpark. that's with college, um, rules including sacks on against rushing yards yeah which kind of which kind of throws it off i mean th- but even then if you don't count the sacks they only had 57 yeah so i don't know why college football counts the sacks against rushing yards it doesn't make much sense but whatever the case may be jared you heard from matt Ken, you heard from the players and they talked a lot about how everything just sort of I don't want to say fall apart, but it just wasn't good in that first half and how they fixed it. Do you think that hopefully they've learned something from that? Because as we said before, you can't play a football game like that when you get into Big Ten play. Maybe you can against Illinois and Rutgers, but if you're playing any team that's better than them, you're going to get punished for that instantly. And Maryland really did get punished. As I said, like they gave up two touchdown drives. One of them was more fluky than the other, but you just hope that they figured it out and that it never happens again. Yeah. It was one of those, one of those halves that, you know, you try to forget, I guess 
Um, what's interesting is that I did expect early in the season Maryland on offense uh, to get penalized probably a little bit more than usual just because you know of the new offense and all the the pre-snap motions and everything I don't think they've been called for a single um motion like time. illegal motion or whatever yeah I, I don't think that's illegal happened shift. at all um they've they've had a few uh you know false start issues but that's mostly been you know just kind of general someone flinches type deal um so that's been you know probably a welcome surprise for the team um but yeah for them to get penalized and Matt Canada kind of talked about it some of them were more you know because you're playing hard you end up you know like like I think he referenced the Byron Coward face mask uh, deep in Bowling Green territory when he, he wrapped him up in the backfield but got a handful of masks. Um, that's a a playing hard and making a mistake issue, and, and you can live with those um, to an extent. But it's the you know silly you know, block in the back or the unsportsmanlike conduct or the whatever um, penalties like that that are – demoralizing um that that you kind of got to get rid of and i would imagine that you know maryland doesn't have a half like that again this year or at least you know for for quite a while because they do they're going to lose the game yes uh, i would i would imagine because like you said you know maybe you can do it against illinois maybe you can do it against rutgers um that's probably it at this point um I, i know temple's not very good right now at 0-2, um, but I do think would be able to make Maryland pay a little bit more than Bowling Green did. Well, I certainly would think that. A couple of things on the penalties. I mean, some of the unsportsmanlike conduct penalties were probably the worst unsportsmanlike conduct penalties in the history of awful calls. And let's be honest, there were a billion of them. I think the, the Johnny Jordan one was at least defensible as a call, even if it was light. And then the high-fiving fans in the stands is probably the worst penalty call I have ever seen in the history of football that has a history of the worst calls ever, especially now since we're all griping and grousing about terrible rules. That was probably the worst call ever made by anybody, but let's not focus too much on that because it was dumb, and I think everybody could agree with that. Thomas, I actually want to talk just about the offense just a little bit more than we've talked about it recently in more specific terms. They weren't using as much crazy motion as we saw against Texas. They were a lot simpler, I think. They didn't run as many jet sweeps. Did we see some adjustment, other than obviously running the ball down their throat in the second half because they couldn't stop it, but did we see adjustments in the kinds of plays that we saw them call? Because I think from just a play calling and you know X's and O's standpoint, it was definitely a different game and an evolution of what we saw against Texas. I think that has as much to do with Canada just being someone whose system is easily adaptable and you can see a lot of different versions of it from game to game. I, you know, the jet sweeps were still there. It's not like there was an experiment that didn't. Yeah. I mean, and, and there might be games in the future that you do see it a lot more often. It it really depends on the opponent and what you think you need to do to, to stop them. And against Bowling Green, it was pretty simple. You just had to run the ball at him and Maryland got good blocking and the running backs are good, so, like, goodbye. And 
is that a formula that's replicable? Because I mean, like you, you might probably can't do that against well anybody that's good. But no, so that's one why... of the better rush defenses in the country against Texas, and they couldn't do anything up the middle, so they had to use out wide. But were you surprised yeah, we didn't so they, see them so go they... out wide as often as they did? I mean, they did, but they didn't go often out wide as much as they really kind of needed to against Texas. I think they'll get back to that. I just think it was what you know, kind of letting the game come to them, which is is kind of what you hope for from an offense is that they don't do more than they need to and like Matt, Canada didn't need to get cute and so he didn't I think they lined up Kasim Hill under center on way more plays than I ever thought that they were gonna line him up under center and that has to do with the fact that they could run the ball straight down the teeth of the uh, Bowling Green defense but I, I guess now Jared to talk about the running game in particular I mean, it was obviously really, really good when you rush 400-something yards, 440. You're obviously going to be good. Maryland has more talent than Bowling Green, obviously, offensively to defense. Uh, and everybody got their share. I think they had two rushers over 100 yards, and one other one was over 80. And, again, it wasn't necessarily all one. It was McFarland had a couple of big plays. Tayon Fleet Davis had big plays. Ty Johnson looked like Ty Johnson. You know, it, there's nothing surprising in terms of how many players played. But this was the first game in which, obviously, the first game in which they all looked pretty good and they all looked like they only have their kind of, their niches offensively that allows Matt Cannon to be more creative with how they're used. Yeah, I think this is kind of what everyone envisioned when, you know, we're sitting here and and talking about, you know, Maryland has six running backs. You know, Funk is hurt right now, but he fits this this conversation also when he's healthy. Um They've got six guys who they can hand the ball to in any number of situations. Uh, I thought it was interesting uh, that they were using Ty Johnson and Lorenzo Harrison on that jet sweep motion. Also, um, they see it's you know through the the first game it seemed like they were more um, kind of tailback options rather than coming from that H back spot. Um, but each one of them had big plays from the uh, from the H back spot. So, uh, you know, and and specifically on yeah, a jet sweep. So, you know, I, I think it kind of shows that they can all do a little bit of everything. But you also saw throughout the course of the game um, that the the more specific talents of each one stand out. Uh, you know, Fleet Davis had a short run um, where he just kind of pounded the ball inside. Um, McFarland caught a ball out of the backfield uh, for a long gain down the sideline. Harrison was, you know, just like disappearing and reappearing somewhere else. Johnson had a long run as a tailback. Leak had a long run as a tailback. You know, everybody kind of did, um, you know, perf- uh, performed their, not performed is the wrong word, but kind of exhibited their their bread and butter skills um but were were also able to you know kind of show some versatility in other areas mm-hmm. thomas do you have any thoughts about that i would say i agree with pretty much all of it i think leak is a very interesting case because every time we see him he you know every couple of plays he, he breaks off something big but i think Tayon fleet davis might be like the most under discussed revelation of this because he wasn't part of it last year and he's very squarely in the mix right now. I mean, he's 
He's been the, the best of all of them in the first two games. I mean, he had the big runs against Texas and then had really big plays in this game. He's got times. three fourth-quarter touchdowns. So, I don't know about the best of all of them. I, th- you know, I think I would, he's shown the most. Johnson is the incumbent, but, but Fleet Davis has been a much bigger part of the mix than I think any of us really expected. Like, and that's not even a knock on him. Well, it's also because Jake Funk wasn't around, but even then, it's like you expected Johnson, Harrison, then McFarlane, and then perhaps Fleet Davis. But I think it's actually reversed. McFarlane hasn't had as many touches and as many plays as I thought we would have seen from him. I mean, he had more well, well, this, this last game. game was the yeah. I mean, he had he was the team's leading receiver. They didn't well, throw the ball I think a lot. It's he also had two catches. They gave up on throwing the ball after a while because they realized they didn't need to. Yeah, but but you know, McFarlane had 122 all-purpose yards, I believe. So I, I think that's that is something that we'll continue to see a lot of. He will be a lot more of an all-purpose player of those running backs. He has really always been sort of the best catching balls out of the backfield. Um, I thought we'd see him line up more as a receiver than we have, but again, this is two games and we're kind of nitpicking at this point. Yeah, I mean, it's not like Canada has to show us everything in two games. <laughs> no, and I think he, I'd rather him save it for when they actually play really good football teams because they might I think it. he would too. I think he would too. Uh, just in terms of his coaching, the fact that Maryland looked really unprepared in the first half, but then fixed it pretty considerably in the second half. Uh, did we learn anything new, Thomas, as Matt Canada as a head coach? Because now you figure he's getting more into his stride. He's now used to calling plays from the sidelines and running an entire team from there. And presumably he needs to get used to it because, well, we think he's going to be doing a lot more of it. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, did we see any changes for Matt Canada in terms of how he coached the game, how he managed the game? I can't say I saw any real changes, but I think he's growing a little more comfortable. And I, I mean, he's he's admitted as much. the The interesting thing to me is the extent to which he doesn't. It's not that he denies being the head coach, but he really views himself as the offensive coordinator. But because of the situation, he has some extra responsibilities to to oversee a little bit of the defense and know the defensive players. But the defensive staff is really collaborating a lot more with each other. So, And it's clear because the defense has played better this year in yes. games than it ever played last year. Yes. And that is mix of talent coming back, talent coming in. And I, I think the collaboration has helped. I don't happen to – I don't happen to know who's calling the bulk of the plays. Uh, Canada has said it's sort of a collaborative process just as even – calling the plays on offense is a bit of a collaborative process. But I would say, I mean, the results are pretty clearly pretty good. Canada seems to have a good handle on his team, and that's that's really more than you can ask for at this point. True. And, Jared, I want to talk about the defense specifically. I just It's not that they've been incredibly flashy in their first two games. I mean, they had the three straight turnover drives at the end of the Texas game, and then they had – there are moments where they got their sacks and had a turnover at the end of the game with Ayinde LA. But beyond that, I don't think it's just been anything spectacular. It's just been solid defense all around. And at a point, like, you can't say much more about it because they're just getting stops, making plays when they have to. But none of them are flashy. It's just solid bread and butter, good defense, which they had against Texas for the large majority and for the large majority of the game against Bowling Green. Yeah, and I think a big part of that is um... – they're second in the country in third down percentage, I believe. Um, they had to be one of the worst teams in the country at that. 
Yeah, I don't know what the the stat was for last year, but it definitely wasn't good. Um, yeah, third down defensive conversion percentage. Maryland is second in the country with a 24.1% success. The offense has a 24.1% success rate. Um, that's better than Alabama. Um, Texas, coincidentally, is number eight on that list. Um Who's but number one, it's uh, now that you mentioned it? Washington State. Really? Um, well, yeah, 19.2%. San Jose State, not exactly quality opposition, but... Right, and so, it, I mean, I guess another thing that's kind of interesting is Iowa and Minnesota are both on the list, um, and they're both on the schedule later in the year, so that could you know maybe turn out to be a little more of a defensive game than any of us may have imagined well, early on in the Iowa, year. I don't usually expect points to be scored. I expect a lot of punts. Yeah. Iowa's more, you know, more likely to be a defensive game. Um, and well, the Minnesota game last year wasn't particularly high scoring, but it wasn't really low scoring either. It was 31, 24. Um, that's about, that's pretty standard, but yes, not to get too sidetracked. Um, it, it, it's a huge part of, you know, they, they do have a couple, uh, you know, turnovers here and there. There are a couple interceptions in uh, the Texas game um, and more in, in the Bowling Green game. But I think kind of the biggest um, and, and maybe less flashy part of the defense, you know, looking like they actually know what they're doing this year um, is that they get off the field on third down. Yeah. You're, you're making a good point there, and that's obviously hugely important because they could not get off the field last year. And some of that has to do with just better play from veterans. You know, you mentioned Isaiah Davis, Thomas, Trey Watson's been very solid. You're getting good help from the secondary. And some pass rush helps, obviously. And last year they had zero, and this year they have a lot more of it. So uh, let's focus briefly on Temple. Uh, This is another one of those games where I don't think it does us a huge service to go too in-depth. They're 0-2. They lost at home to Villanova. We're not talking Villanova in basketball. We're talking FCS Villanova football here. Not good. And then they lost to Buffalo, who I think was predicted to win the MAC East, but you're still losing to a MAC team at home as an American team that was a couple of years ago in the top 20 and was unbeaten and won the conference a couple of years ago, made the two straight American title games. Uh, they're having a bad start. I think, honestly, most of what I'm intrigued by this game and the most is everything outside of the actual football game itself. But in terms of the actual game, Thomas, what do we expect for Maryland here? I don't even know what the line is, to be fair with you. I believe the line has climbed to somewhere between 14 and 16. I mean, last week, I mean, it's kind of a bad beat that Maryland came back. It was only up by three at the end of the quarter, then ended up winning by 31, and the line was somewhere like 17. But that sounds about right, because I still don't think many people know what to do with this Maryland team. Yeah, I mean, it's tricky. It's still early in the season, and, like, Temple isn't probably isn't as bad as its early results have been. I mean, they've only just, lost their and that's just, uh, by even, like nine points, I think. Yeah, I mean, and, and saying that is just based off their track record. I mean, they, they won 27 games the last three years. And obviously, a, a lot of that was with a different coach. But this is a program that's used to success, and the, the veterans on this team are used to success. And Canada said that. And, you know, you, you do have to, to take care of it. They, they have a couple non-offensive touchdowns this year. They lead the country in blocked kicks. They've blocked an extra point, a punt, and a field goal. Well, that's interesting. Um, I did not know that. Yeah, so 
if Temple wins, it's probably going to be because of weird stuff. Well, Maryland, Maryland has a kicker right now. That Maryland has, has been yet. has been good at avoiding weird stuff happening against them in the first few games. Yeah, you're right. That can change at any minute because well, it's Maryland. Well, of course. Well, we're talking injuries mostly, but hey, the kicker hasn't missed a kick yet. That's a good sign. Let me go find some wood to knock on. I'm going to do the same thing. Uh, in terms of evolution of the game, Jared, evolution of what this Maryland team is trying to be, what do you want to see from them in this game? Because it feels a lot like we're talking about the Bowling Green game again. Because, you know, Temple's not very good. Maryland's at home. You expect to beat them. You expect to beat them pretty handily. But you want to see them improve. Obviously, you want to see them be much more disciplined, of course, after what happened in the first half against Bowling Green. But what else do you want to see from this team on Saturday? Um, I think, honestly, if we see absolutely nothing new, um, that's probably a good thing. Well, I mean, um, maybe a ton more, uh, not a ton more, but a bit more in the passing game. I mean, I know they essentially abandoned it by the end of the because they had the ability to, but you'd like to see them. I mean, I know the weather's not supposed to be great, but you, you would like to see them have a little bit more in the passing game because at a point, like, you're going to have to throw the ball to win a football game in the Big Ten, and Maryland hasn't proven that they have a great passing game yet, not one that you could rely on substantially in moments when you would want to. I'd agree with that, um, but I also think, like you like you said, with the, the weather – uh, you know, maybe being the way it's supposed to be um, or projected to be, um, that might not happen. I'd even say probably won't happen this weekend. Um, and so there's a pretty decent chance, I, w- I would say, that that Maryland kind of goes into Big Ten play without, you know, throwing a whole lot of passes, um, which could be interesting we'll see how that goes Um, going into big 10 play without an interception would be nice that i mean that would be huge um and kind of continue i mean obviously continuing that as long as as possible should be a priority Mm -hmm. um but i was i think the point i was trying to make more was kind of going back to what thomas said about weird stuff like nothing really that weird um, has gone on there. I mean, if the the rain delay was kind of odd, um, it, just in that it doesn't happen often. Um, but it was uh, th- there hasn't been any like the first half of the Texas game last year, where there were blocked kicks returned for touchdowns and punts returned for touchdowns. There, there hasn't been anything. Yeah, exactly. Tip ball, pick six. Like there hasn't been anything out of the ordinary in terms of actual gameplay yet. Um, it, it'll happen eventually. It's just kind of a matter of of when and how good or bad it is. Um, but but that's been kind of avoided so far. And you know, like I said, it'll happen eventually. I, I think the longer we go without seeing any crazy stuff like that the better so you know if we just see maryland line up and run the ball 40 ish times again like that's that probably bodes well for the terps i think it could and the weather is not supposed to be great although i bet the forecast is now looking a tiny bit better than it had done because of the track of florence and if you are on the florence path 
tarps stay safe of course uh i'm interested also in the atmosphere the weather's not going to help but it's the first game in college park since everything's gone on and the atmosphere in fedex field was as you would have expected kind of deadish so what the atmosphere is like on saturday who the heck knows and i think a lot of that has to do with the fact that we're still in limbo as to what's going on with these investigations but we now have a little bit more clarity thomas and we should talk about some of the announcements that it came today wednesday uh firstly they are going to announce the findings of all the investigations next friday the 21st you just the walters one oh just the walters one so that is the mcnair investigation so that's going to make it a very interesting day in college park we're still waiting on the investigation of the toxic culture of the football program thank you for correcting i thought it was both but even the uh, announcing the uh, findings from the walters investigation is going to be really interesting Knew they weren't going to announce it on a football game day, but they're announcing it the day before a game, the day before the Big Ten opener, which is interesting. So what are your thoughts on that? I would say, I mean, this one I don't think plays in as much to the future of any particular officials except the trainer. Um, I think that's really the only guy whose job is on the line based on the findings of this report. And... You know, it feels like we have, we've gotten a pretty good amount from this, and none of it reflects well on Maryland's medical staff. Um, I don't know what the final report's going to be. I don't know to what extent it'll mention anything about Durkin or about any other members of the staff. I, I, like, this is not the report that will seal Durkin's fate one way or another, or, you know, anything beyond him. And so I think it, it will be probably good for a lot of people to just have all that information out there and they'll be able to proceed i don't i don't expect it to be too groundbreaking i think a lot of the stuff that's been reported from the workout culpability yeah so i think a lot of it will be similar to what's been reported already but maybe a few other details and We'll see what comes from those. So that's just the Walters report. And we also got the notice today that Jordan McNair's family is intending to sue. We are not surprised by that. I think the number was $30 million. It's a lot, but we'll see how that goes on. And That's the initial number that you throw out there. And yeah, then they'll course. settle for obviously something far, far less than that. But well, that's how that's how law. That's how court mm-hmm. cases work in these cases. Of course, we should forget that. But you figured there you figured this was coming. I still wholly expect that this is going to be settled at some point in the not too distant future and it also i guess coincides tightly with the walters report information being released as well but i think they're actually waiting for that information to be released yeah it would make sense to from legally to fire it right after that but anyway the point being that that has also happened and so that's coming next friday which is going to be an interesting day for you two and the other investigation, we still have no updates on it. So we're kind of just, you know, in limbo still, right? I believe Damon Evans said in an interview with Maryland Today, which is the school propaganda machine that you shouldn't touch. Ah, um, good, good, good shout there. Which really uh, we shouldn't be talking he said about. That, but, you know. No, but he, but he said it's like taking a little longer. I think end of the month, maybe. End of the month. So maybe another week then? I fully thought that they were going to release it all at once, so they don't have to do it twice, but apparently not. I have never actually... Well, two investigations. I have never heard of Maryland Today before in my life, and I'm glad I haven't, I guess. 
Oh, man, that's been a storm on campus because, you know, I mean, so Maryland's communications office just started up its own publication. Oh, Jesus. Um, that's not it's, good. It looks a lot like the Diamondbacks website. And oh, even it's better. trying to write a lot of the same stories. And you know what happens when communications people try to write stories. It, is, it goes really badly. Yes, yes. So so read us, read Diamondback. Poor favor, gracias. Well, yes. Read everything except that is basically what we're telling you to do. Do not read propaganda machines. They do not help. And they do not give you information that you need to know. They give you information that people think you need to know, which is always wrong. And we could go into that at another time. Uh, let's get to some other non-revenue sports things, Thomas, very briefly. Uh, men's soccer scored a goal. Took long enough. Proud of them. Yes, yes. Exciting times in the kingdom. Exciting times in the kingdom of Sasha. They scored a goal. And they beat West Virginia. And it's good to beat West Virginia in any sport. Uh, I don't remember if the women, I mean, the last I saw women's soccer actually scored a goal too. Yeah, I mean, they've, they've scored a few goals here and there. Uh, they're, I believe, 2-3-3 three, and three at the moment, which is actually worse than they've been in the non-conference in the past. The last couple of years, they've been okay in the non-conference and then got Torched decimated in the big, yeah. Um, they're they're kind of hopeful that that won't be the case this year, but I'm I'm not sure. We'll see. Um, and then and then volleyball uh, looked pretty good this weekend. Went two and one at home. Um, the the one loss was a five set, really exciting back and forth. There was one set they played a twenty five win by two. They had they went thirty two to thirty. Oof. Um, they lost that set, won the next two sets to tie the match, and then came up short in the fifth. Who's so, that against? I... That was against South Carolina. South Carolina. Okay, thank you very much for information that we all need to know. But what's their record? How overall they're doing? Pretty. They well? are. They're seven and two. I think that's around what you'd expect. I mean, they have a really tough Big Ten schedule. Their non-conference schedule this year is not that tough. Um, their two losses have been five set losses, so they've looked pretty good. I think it's it's hard to get a gauge for how well they'll stack up in the Big Ten because they're still so young and they don't have a lot of the firepower they had last year. But mm-hmm. in, early results are still encouraging, at least. I think that's always a positive thing. And the final thing we should mention for this show is that Maryland lost – somebody very important to all Maryland athletics. Everyone will know of Mary Gossett, who is Barry Gossett's wife, huge Terrapin club donor for many, many years. Uh, I think someone, Scott McBride said she was the first lady of Maryland athletics, donated a lot of money to athletic programs. She's around the program a lot, all athletic teams, not just the big ones. And she passed away. And so she will be obviously very missed. And you could read all the quotes from everybody, basically Mark Turgeon has quotes, Brenda Fries has coach. Mason Maharg has coach, uh, so too does Gary Williams, obviously. So, big loss for Maryland. They donated, what was it, $21 million for some... Yeah, the two of them for a new uh, facility. It's a facility and a program for um, student-athletes who are trying to get internships in their, their field of interest. Very good. So, that is obviously quite a big loss for Maryland and... Thoughts to the family, of course, after that, and thoughts to everybody because there was a huge impact with Maryland, of course, as we say 
Uh, that's really it for this podcast, and there's not much else really to say. Did we miss anything? I don't believe so. I mean, I, there hasn't been a ton of big news this week. We'll, we'll have more before Thankfully, long. there hasn't been, but you should definitely stay tuned next week because there will be news, and there will be quite a bit to get to. I think we're going to start to pick up some news as time goes on. It's going to be interesting to watch that game in terms of the atmosphere on Saturday, just how many people show up. I think the weather's going to play a bigger role than everything else, but let's see how that how that goes. Got two straight games at home, and we will get an idea, of course, of what is the appetite for Maryland football on campus right now, even though they're 2-0 again for, what is it now, the third straight year they're 2-0? Which I can't imagine that's happened too often. I don't have that off the top of my head, so... Yeah, I don't, I don't have the number for it either. Well, I can tell you that if they win, they'll be starting 3-0 for the second time in three years, which I can guarantee you that has not happened very often. I'm sure. So that will be on Saturday if you are in the path of Hurricane Florence, not necessarily in College Park, but if you are Terps in the Carolinas or further south of Virginia, please stay safe, of course. And if you can watch the game on Saturday, good luck fighting it on your BTN alternate channel because there are three games going on at the same time. And I think I'm only lucky that I'm getting it on the main channel because Temple's playing in it as opposed to uh, all the other games, which are, what was it, Troy, Nebraska, and then some other game that I can't remember. Ball State, Indiana, I think. Whatever the case may be, good luck finding an alternate channel. If not, you can stream it as long as you have a cable subscription. But regardless of this, enjoy the games. And until next week, when we next speak, go Terps.